And now to transition to our sermon for this week. The teaching comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. This is God's word for his people. We would be wise to listen. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're in a series in the book of First Peter. First Peter is written to a marginalized people. And last week and this week, we, we get to look at two pretty controversial passages. Last week, it was about governing authorities and our role in society. This week, husbands and wives. And the passage that we're looking at today is one that has historically over the years uh, been abused. Uh, but I think much of the abuses of this passage have come from pulling it out of its context and not seeing who Peter is writing to. And so I, I, I want to start by just illustrating the importance of context. If you were to uh, read a transcript of a conversation in my home, and you read this, she got upset and yelled, and Brandon said, you're grounded. Knowing who the she is matters. Right? I have three daughters between the ages of three and ten and one wife. And so knowing who she is matters. If, if I said you're grounded to my three-year-old daughter, that's not a real punishment. If I said you're grounded to my wife, that leads to my punishment. The only appropriate person for me to say you're grounded to is my ten-year-old daughter. Now, I know this works better if she were 14, but I'm working with what I've got. Context matters. Knowing who the she is matters. Because if you don't know who the she is, it could lead to abuses of both three-year-olds and wives. It could lead to, to men thinking grounding a three-year-old is appropriate punishment, or a husband saying you're grounded to your wife is okay. When neither are. What's the point? What's the point? In our passage, knowing who the she is matters. Because Peter is writing to a specific wife in a specific context with a specific point in mind. So let's get into the text. Let's get into the text and we will let the context emerge and and help us hopefully understand and apply this passage. Let's go verse 1. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, 
they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Okay, let's talk first century context. The first century context that Peter was writing into. Uh, Almost all historians agree that in the early church, women were particularly responsive to the gospel message, to, to the message of Christianity. And so what we had was a lot of married women who converted to Christ, who converted to Christianity, and then we ended up with a significant number of mixed marriages, wives who worshiped Christ, husbands who worshiped their gods. And so who is Peter addressing here? The, the, the wife that Peter is addressing is the Christian wife with a non-Christian husband. And so in this first century context, what would life have been like for the wife who converts to Christianity? Well, um, Karen Jobes, uh, New Testament scholar, I've cited her the last few weeks. I found her so helpful uh, understanding the book of First Peter. Here's what she says about what life would have been like for the wife in the first century who converts to Christianity. A wife's conversion would likely provoke antagonism from her husband. In Greco-Roman society, it was expected that the wife would have no friends of her own and would worship the gods of her husband. First, the very fact that a woman would adopt any religion other than her husband's violated the Greco-Roman ideal for an orderly home. Second, the husband and society would have perceived the wife's worship of Jesus as rebellion. So Peter, knowing what life would have been like for these wives who converted to Christianity, knowing what their home life would have been like, knowing the challenges that their newfound faith in Christ would have produced for them, says this, Be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to your own husband. Now, I want to pause and address something real quick. Because I know some of you right now are hearing that. You hear the phrase, you read the phrase, be subject to your own husband, and you say, no way. I I simply could not believe a Bible that says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And I want you to know that if you say that, Here's what you're saying. You're saying, I can never have a Bible that disagrees with me. But a Bible that cannot disagree with you is no Bible at all. You see, listen, the the Bible challenges and disagrees with and argues back against the values of every culture under the sun. It's one of the ways that we know the Bible is not culturally derived, but from God. But I do want you to see what Peter is doing here. Because what Peter is doing here really was um, found nowhere else in the ancient Greco-Roman world. This was unheard of. Because what Peter does here, masterfully actually, is he affirms the wife's choice to leave her former way of life. He affirms her choice to leave her husband's gods and worship Christ. He affirms that she is not bound to her husband's friends only, but can be a part of this new Christian community. 
while calling her to remain married with a particular posture toward her husband. Why? Why would Peter, knowing what her life and her home life was like, say, I, I want you to remain married with this particular posture toward your husband? Answer. So that by the way she lives her life, her husband might be converted to Christ. You see, here, here's the point. Here's the point Peter is making. That the submission of a wife to her husband is to lead to the submission of her husband to Christ. That the submission of a wife to her husband was to lead to the submission of her husband to Christ, which is simply in line with the context of 1 Peter. That, that 1 Peter in 2.12, right before he began the section on submitting to governing authorities, masters, and now um, wives to husbands, he, he said this. He said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, all Peter did last week was take that verse and apply it to society. And this week, all he's doing is taking that verse and applying it to this marriage, marriage of a Christian wife and a non-Christian husband. Peter's intent here, his point is evangelistic. His point is evangelistic, that simply by the way she lives her life, she might lead her husband to Christ. Peter's hope and heart, his intent is evangelistic. And now he's going to drill a little deeper into how she should go about living. Verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the, and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For, for this is how the holy women of, who, who hoped I'm sorry, I'm read again. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Peter says this. He says, don't adorn what is external. Adorn what is internal, that hidden person of the heart. And he gives an example of Sarah and Abraham. Why does he give the example of Sarah and Abraham? Uh, well, leaning again on Karen Job's, I, I think most likely that Peter is simply drawing on the Jewish tradition that saw uh, Sarah as a virtuous woman, virtuous woman because she submitted to her husband. Um, does that mean that Sarah never had voice in her marriage at all? Of course, that's not what it means. A, a cursory glance of Genesis We'll tell you that, and in chapter 21, Genesis 21, there's this little section that, that, that God is speaking to Abraham, and he says, whatever, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. That phrase, do as she tells you, it, it could be translated obeyed uh, as well. Now, now, there's a lot of context around this passage in Genesis 21, but I wanted to, to pull it out to show you that God's heart for marriage uh, was never, um, wives be quiet, husbands, you make all the decisions that as we're going to see, that, that there was order, but there was mutuality that led to flourishing, but never domineering. 
ever. Ever. So, why, why would Peter, why would Peter writing into this home say, don't, don't adorn with um, braiding of your hair, gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear? Well, the, the three examples that he gives uh, would have been examples that were um, instruments of seduction. They would have been things that were sexually enticing uh, then uh, and to a degree still today. And what Peter is saying in the context of an evangelistic intent to lead the husband to Christ is he is saying this, that being physically enticing while being combative, right, not having a gentle and quiet spirit, being physically enticing while combative won't lead your husband to Christ that I think what Peter is saying is this. And I know how difficult it is. Peter knew how difficult it was. This was a widespread reality in the early church. Christian wife, non-Christian husband. Difficult homes. Peter knew this. And he's saying that if you want to see your husband come to Christ, live your life with a gentle and quiet spirit adorning your heart with the internal beauty that will grow over the years, not external that's going to fade. Adorn yourself with the heart of Christ, the spirit of Christ, a gentle and quiet spirit. And here's why I think context is so important. Because I think when Peter is writing this, I think I can make the case that when Peter is writing this, he has in, in mind those particularly difficult marriages. Those first century, wife who converted to Christ, difficult, difficult marriages. Uh, this is how he opened his letter. If we could go back to chapter 1. He said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that that for some people, Peter is thinking of their marriage as a trial, one that grieves. Verse 7, so that by the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Some of you, some of you, are wives in very difficult marriages. Your husband has walked away and abandoned the faith. The, the Lord has saved you, but not your husband, and now you have a combative home. Faith is, is a priority for you, but it's not for him. Addiction has created emotional, spiritual, physical distance inside your home and your marriage, it feels like a trial, a trial that grieves the soul. I want you to hear Peter saying that your faith is more precious than any gold that you could ever put on in his words, Peter's words, the words of the scriptures, as difficult as they might be, they are for you, and you can trust them. You can trust them. 
It may or may not lead to the husband who worships Jesus. It may or may not lead to the marriage that no longer feels like a trial. But Peter's words are still for you, and you can trust them. Now, some might be asking, well, well, what about an abusive home? What about a physically abusive home? Well, there is nothing in this passage or any other that would suggest staying in an abusive or dangerous home is good, wise, and right. In fact, given the first century context Peter's writing into, it would have been counterproductive of having evangelistic and apologetic homes. I can't, I don't have time to get into that, but it would have been counterproductive. But now Peter, he's going to turn to husbands and he's going to give a directive and a command that would absolutely prohibit any and all abuse by husbands. Uh, Let's look at it, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as the woman, uh, to the woman, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That's speaking probably physically. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter shifts his focus from Christian wives with non-Christian husbands to Christian husbands, and he opens with the line, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, there's something I want to point out to you. Uh, The the, the phrase, in an understanding way, it is very difficult to translate, Uh, and I'm not going to critique the translation because I don't know a better way, to be honest, but I do think that there's something underneath inside it that, that gets missed. Where it says in an understanding way, literally, the, the, the Greek text there, the, the, the New Testament, if you don't know, is written in Greek. We translate it into English. Um, it's according to knowledge or according to knowing. Why does that matter? Because in the Bible, knowing is, is often used of sex. So an example, Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. Peter's not saying live with your wife by having sex with your wife, but I, but I do think underneath in the providence of God and the usage of this word as a spirit inspired the scriptures, um, I, I, I do think that, uh, and given the context of uh, adorning your wives, don't, don't adorn yourself with what is sexually enticing. I, I think that underneath it all, we can see this though. Peter's saying to husbands, live with your wife as if you really believe that you are one flesh that you are united together as one. Live in, a, in, in such a way that reflects the kind of union that you are in. How? By showing her honor. Recognizing the mutuality of marriage in the honor that you show her. Show her the kind of honor that culture shows you. Husband, you, you, you first century husband who, who are honored and esteemed in society, you take the honor you get out there, you show her that kind of honor in your home. Listen, while Greco-Roman culture might be saying to your wife that she is a second-class citizen, you show her the honor of someone who is first class. Let me illustrate this. Um, I, I, have, I have never flown first class. If any of you want to rectify that, I'm all ears. Um, but when I, when I walk past the first class section on the way back to coach, my section, I, I walk past and, I, and I'm just aware. I'm aware that we, that, that, we're, that we just lead different lives. 
And I think Peter is saying, here's what I want you to do. I, I, I want you to show the kind of honor to your wife that says to her, you don't belong on the back of the plane. You belong in the front of the plane. You have the same honor and dignity of somebody who sits in first class. Treat your wife that way. Why? Because she is an heir just like you. She is an heir of the grace of eternal life. And among my people, there are no second class citizens. There's no hierarchy in my people. That she is an heir. An heir. An heir of the grace of eternal life. Now listen, this passage to the husband in the first century, living this kind of radically countercultural life, it would have been difficult. To, to wives in any century, this would have been very difficult to hear, to embrace, and to actually live. And if you have ever tried to live like this, or if you've ever known a wife in this situation, if you've ever known somebody who is married to somebody who, who does not follow Jesus you, you, if you've ever known a wife in this kind of marriage, it is difficult, it is difficult to live, to embrace, which is why they both need. They both need a supernatural power to live out Peter's words, because it's not natural to anyone. That to the wife, she needs a supernatural power that comes from seeing the beauty, that true beauty, internal beauty, it comes to the gospel applied. It is a gospel-formed beauty that she has in Christ. She needs to know that she is a bride with the perfect bridegroom. She needs to know that there is nothing dishonorable about submitting yourself. That's what Jesus did in his incarnation and on the cross. She needs to know that Jesus was not indifferent to her suffering. He came and he suffered with her and for her. She needs to know that in her loneliest of moments, Jesus and his church are with you. And if you, if you are the wife in the difficult marriage, I want you to know that Sojourn is with you and for you and wants to be alongside you. If, you, if you're living through the aftermath of one of these difficult marriages falling apart, Sojourn wants to walk with you, be alongside you, and come around you and love you like family. It's the kind of church that we are and we want to remain. And the husband, the husband needs to know that the power to live like this comes from seeing Jesus as the bridegroom who died for his bride. Seeing that Jesus looked out at the mob, looked at the soldier nailing him to the cross, knowing that he could have called down an army, but instead on that cross called down the justice of God on him. Dying for the husband who has to relearn how to treat his wife. Dying for the wife in a difficult marriage. This is where the supernatural power to live this out comes from. It comes from the gospel applied. It comes from the gospel embraced. Husbands, we, we want to walk alongside you as we all relearn, as we're learning together what it looks like to lead and to love and to care for our wives and wives that are in these difficult marriages. We, we, we want you to know that we want to, to be around you and love you and walk with you like family. This is a difficult passage. It simply is. It's a challenging passage. Living it would have been unnatural to the first century wife or the first century husband. It is unnatural for us today. 
which is why it takes a supernatural power of the gospel to live it, to embrace it. It takes a supernatural power of the gospel to form a community that can come around husbands and wives and walk together and to live like family, being this redeemed family together. So that those who might feel marginalized in their homes know that they are never marginalized in our community. This takes the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit lived out among us to be that kind of community. I want to say it again before I pray and close to the wives who find themselves in these kinds of difficult marriages. We love you. We are with you. We are for you. And we want to walk with you. Not just for you, but, but so that your husband might come to know Jesus. And for those who are living with the aftermath of this kind of marriage falling apart, we want to walk with you, love you, and live with you like family. This is the kind of people we want to remain. It's the kind of community we want to be. Let me pray. Father, I, I know that in the limited time we have, I, I feel like we just, there's just so much that you want, want to say to your people. And that we often have time to just scratch the surface of it. I feel that again right now. Spirit, I'm asking you to gently speak words of comfort and encouragement to, uh, to those wives and husbands who need it right now. In particular, the wives in difficult marriages. The, those who really are living the life directly, the life that Peter is writing into. To those who are living with the aftermath of this kind of marriage falling apart. Spirit, would you speak words of encouragement? kindness and gentleness to them right now would you help us to remain a community a people a church who who want to come around want to walk with want to say you're not marginalized you're not second class you belong to us and we want to help you learn to heed and hear and believe and embrace the words of peter for your good for your good and for the good of others we pray in christ's name Amen. Amen. We love you, Sojourn, so very much.